On the coast of Ireland, on a barren cliff face of the Hook Peninsula, sits one of the most haunted mansions in the world. Driving along the isolated road, it is easy to spot the mansion. If ever a building fit the stereotype of a home haunted by its bloody and tragic past, this is it. Set against the backdrop of a rugged and windswept coastal setting, Loftus Hall looms over the surrounding landscape. Its historic walls have seen invasion, capture, plague, famine and numerous personal tragedies, many of which live on as ghostly legends. Today we take a look inside Loftus Hall, Ireland, a place we have both visited and where the devil came to play a game of poker. Hi, my name is Renata Daniel. And I'm Anne Rekovich, and we welcome you to this episode of the True Hauntings podcast. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. And welcome, everyone. Welcome to this week and to our adventures exploring Loftus Hall. It was one of those places where we visited and loved so much. Mm, We almost didn't get into it, but uh, we'll get into that story later. Yeah. Let's look at Loftus Hall. One night, a terrible storm settled over the hall, so much so that all the vessels out to sea were under threat of breaking apart. And indeed, this is what happened to one such ship. A single survivor of this terrible tragedy managed to get to shore and make his way to the only lights that he could see through the pouring rain and wind. He was pale, thin-faced and dressed all in black. His eyes were sunken from his ordeal and he gathered himself as he made his way to the front door of the hall and knocked. Thunder and lightning illuminated the doorway as it opened to reveal Charles Tottenham, who had married into the family and was now the owner of the estate. Charles invited the stranger in for food and warmth and there seemed to be an immediate connection between the two. The stranger's eyes would light up whenever he talked to Charles's daughter, Anne, and Anne responded by slightly flirting with her body language, turning ever so slightly in his direction and smiling. When they were finished with dinner, Charles invited the stranger to stay until the weather improved and asked if they might partake in a game of cards. The stranger agreed, and along with a few of Charles's friends, they withdrew into one of the cavernous rooms of the hall to sit at the card table. 
They played and played, but the guests started to be bothered by the fact that this stranger seemed to always win at the last minutes of each game. Money was being lost and the guests one by one retired for the night whilst the stranger continued to win each hand. Finally, the only people to remain at the table were Charles, Anne and the stranger. Anne flirted more and more and blushed at what she believed to be the winning hand. This could not be beaten, she thought. And yet, once again, the stranger magically had the perfect winning hand which he revealed. Charles gasped and became flustered, dropping some of his cards on the floor. As he bent down to pick them up, he spied a strange vision in the flickering candlelight. The stranger's feet were indeed not feet at all, but cloven hooves. Charles pulled back from the table, screaming it and pointing at the stranger. This is no man. This is a demon. A demon in our house. Anne looked down to see what had terrified her father so and looked under the table to witness for herself the cloven hooves of the stranger. She went into shock and and despair all at once. This stranger who had shown her love and openly flirted with her was a creature of darkness. She screamed and howled in anguish and the stranger in response pulled back from the table at his discovery. He clutched his chest and let out a sound that had never before been heard by human ears. This sound permeated every single fibre of the room and echoed through the corridors of Loftus Hall. This scream of torment roared beyond what was humanly possible and in the blink of an eye his body was all aflame. Amongst the leaping tendrils of fire, Charles and Anne could see the demon's glowing eyes lustfully and longingly looking towards Anne. One long glance and coming one step closer to her, time stood still until Anne disconnected from his energy and stepped back. At that moment, the demon flew straight up through the ceiling, piercing the plaster and the woodwork, leaving behind a damaged hole that to this day refuses to be sealed. No matter how many times this spot has been repaired, it continues to exist. The structural damage to that spot in that room seems to be a scar that has now become permanently a part of the memory of that fateful night. So, before anyone attempts to say, but that's not the story I heard, let me just say that we have read how many different stories um, and ways this has been written? I reckon. Heaps. Yeah, heaps. Heaps, heaps is a good number. Heaps is a good number because, yeah, there 
are bits and pieces of this particular story that have been changed so many times. It's hard to keep track. Yeah, I, I heard that um, they were playing as Whist. I think was the name of the game, and he got partnered with her. And they kept losing every game and he became more and more frustrated and um, wanted to consume her soul because she kept losing and choosing the wrong cards um, and that she dropped a card, not the father dropped a card, and discovered the cloven hooves. Then I also heard that she dropped a ring mm-hmm. and discovered the cloven hooves. Mm-hmm. I also heard that uh, he or the stranger, the devil, had been there just for one night mm-hmm. and then we have stories where he he was there for quite a number of nights. Mm-hmm. And then I heard a couple of weeks. Yeah. And that they were playing on their own as a family and then they had guests yes, come. Yes, yes. So, yes, this, it's a little bit like, you know, those wonderful myths and legends that uh, appear all over the world. Mm. They start as one thing but then they just keep on growing mm. and changing. But before we get more into that and the whole ghostly aspect, let's turn to the history of Loftus Hall so that you can understand how the history of this amazing place has had an impact on the site that now sits there. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if, say, you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Maybe take a nap? Read a book? Or just show up for a friend. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However... There are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. That's what I did with BetterHelp. When I reached that limit and I realized things were getting a little bit out of control, instead of taking it out on my family or taking it out on myself, I just decided to reach out and get the help that I deserve. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my darklings. Get BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com P60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on. And if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. Betterhelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide. So the story of Loftus Hall begins around 1170 AD when Raymond or Redmond Fitzgerald, whose nickname was Le Gros, the Fat. <laughs> Mm. Oh, dear. Landed at Bag and Bun Head in the Hook Peninsula in what is now County Wexford in Ireland. Now, County Wexford is a famous site in Irish history and it's known as the place where Ireland was lost and won. And that's because of the number of battles that occurred around the Wexford 
area. So Raymond was among the first of a small band of Norman knights who played an active role in helping enforce Norman rule over Ireland. And poor Ireland has battled all of its lifetime to get out from under the claws of all of these rulers that have come in and pushed it around. So this was just one of the battles that it had to contend with. So Raymond acquired land in the area and he built a castle known as Houseland Castle. Now, over the years, it fell into disrepair and in 1350, descendants of Raymond Le Gros built a new castle, which they called the Hall or Redmond Hall. Now, in 1350, we also had the Black Death hit Ireland. And so it seemed that this was a really long period of battle and fragility for the whole place as we have these plagues and we have constant conquerors coming in and out to seize land. Now, the original building was built mainly of red brick and had four towers. So the remains of one of the towers can still be found to one side of the location where the hall now sits and it's known locally as the Ringfield. So in one of the books written around the turn of the last century, credit for the building of this stronghold is given to Raymond or Redmond Le Gros, who was one of Strongbow's followers. Now, have you heard of the word Strongbow before? Gets a nice cider. Yes. <laughs> who actually knew that it was a real person? Oh, well, okay. <laughs> I just thought it had something to do with bows and arrows. <laughs> So Strongbow is actually Richard de Clare, the second Earl of Pembroke of the first creation, Lord of Leinster, Justicer of Ireland. Yeah, forgive us for our pronunciation. <laughs> Some of them are going to suck. Uh, and he was also known as Richard Fitzgilbert. Oh, you got that one. And he was one of the Anglo-Norman noble- noblemen notable for his leading role in the Anglo-Norman invasion of Ireland. Jeez, that's a mouthful. Yeah, so that's that again goes back to this link where Wicklow is the place where Ireland was lost and won. Oh, I loved Wicklow Jail. We'll have to do that one as a topic too. Oh, yes, absolutely. So the hall remained in the Redmond family until the mid-1600s when the Irish Confederate Wars saw the castle repeatedly attacked yet again and eventually seized as part of the Cromwellian confiscations. So this is when Cromwell, Oliver Cromwell, Cromwell comes over in one remarkable display of defence on July the 20th, 1642. Aren't these dates just mind-boggling? Yeah, it it blows my mind, the history of Europe and uh, England and Ireland compared to what we have here with the white European history. It's it's such a short period of time. So um, I know I've stopped mid-sentence, but just... Just a reminder that this place, this site began in 1170 AD. Mm. How much history do we have yeah. before we even get to the devil? Yep. And, and like the, there's blood on the land already. Yes. Yep. So well, we're going to go back to July the 20th, 1642, and Alexander Redmond, who was 68 at the time, managed to preach. God, that's old for that yeah, time. Yeah. 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 Tr- really. 
He managed to protect the hall from around 90 English invaders with just the help of his two sons, some tenants, two soldiers, and a tailor. Oh, the tailor? He the jabbed, tailor. Him, jabbed him with his needle? <laughs> yes. <laughs> out, out. So they staved off several more attacks, after which Alexander Redmond received favourable terms from Cromwell. I'm having difficulty saying that word, Cromwell. Upon his death around 1651, Redmond's family were evicted from the hall and their home was put up for auction. Oh, that's sad. And in 1666, six, 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 mm-hmm. please note that, that, mm-hmm. that date, everyone. Henry Loftus, originally from Yorkshire, England, acquired the confiscated lands and the mansion was renamed Loftus Hall. Yeah, so there's a, a little bit of a <laughs> tick to the old devil when oh, we come to, to Satan there. 1666. <laughs> Very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, so an act of settlement cemented the change of ownership to the Loftus family and this event took place on the 30th of September, 1666. And, yes, they talk a lot about the significance of the last three digits of that year and their association with a legend that endures regarding the mysterious visitor to the hall and the events that were said to unfold. So in 1672, the events pertaining to the legend of Loftus Hall began to unfold. So let's go through the story that we have here with regard to the history. Charles Tottenham lived at the hall at this stage along with his two daughters, Elizabeth and Anne. Both daughters were from his first marriage, but by then he had married a second time. And I think you mentioned that his wife was a new wife. Yeah, a year older than one of the daughters. Yep, yep. That's a bit creepy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just hadn't thought of that before. (laughs) So legend has it that Charles was a man who no sense of frivolity. He didn't laugh. He didn't make jokes. He was as serious as all hell. And I think he just kept his daughters on a tight leash. Yeah. Let's just say that. So the relationship between Anne and her stepmother was one of intolerance at best. Mm. So they would have seen her as, gee, someone. Competition. Yeah. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Just sort of rings back to Lizzie Borden's story. Yes. We're finding these connections Mm. in these stories, aren't we? We are. One narrator, when recounting this story in a publication from the turn of the last century, describes the hall thus. It was an old rambling mansion with no pretense to beauty, passages that led nowhere, large dreary rooms, small closets, various unnecessary nooks and corners, panelled or wainscoted walls and a tapestry chamber. So there would have been many things there that just really existed and I guess Charles didn't even bother to do anything with them. So one very wet and stormy night, the family were startled by a knock on the door. One of the servants returned from answering the door and informed Charles that there was a young gentleman who had arrived on horseback, having lost his way. And with his horse now lame, he was requesting a kindness of the family by way of board and lodging. Yeah, notice this is a different story to the, the yep. ship mm-hmm. um, founding and, yeah. Yep. 
He had been guided there by the light of the house, which you could see for a long distance if you've ever been to Loftus Hall oh or my God. seen. It's a barren, barren place. If you want to get an idea of what it's like, you'll have to go to the Anne and Renata Frightfully Good Facebook page and look up um, the anti-ad we did. We couldn't get into Loftus Hall, and uh, so we did a bit of a parody out the front with a REM pod, and the wind is howling, it's cold, it's almost sleet, and it's it's quite funny. And there's not a tree on site. No, there's nothing. So it's just flat. And, and we've driven for ages to get to this bloody thing and it's shut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a memory. Yep. So he was guided there by the light of the house, which had been the only light he had seen since becoming lost. Now, other variations to the tale suggest that he made his way there following a shipwreck in mm-hmm, the area, mm-hmm. which is the other story. Having been granted the shelter he was seeking, this stranger proved himself to be most agreeable as a guest nice. and was reported to be a very well-finished gentleman indeed. And, of course, Charles, being who he was, would not talk to any old riffraff. I'm sure he would have only let a gentleman into the house and how easy would it have been for the devil to disguise himself as a gentleman? Maybe the devil is a gentleman. Maybe. I'm going to get hate mail on that one. I'm going to get quotes from the Bible, I'm sure. Now, you can imagine Anne who really... Not me? No, No. not you. No, no. Who has seen no one other than her father and her sister and her stepmother and even her sister Elizabeth married and moved away from the hall. That couldn't She couldn't stand being there. She was immediately attracted to this young man and this young man very willingly reciprocated. Now, upon his leaving, she was so succumbed by grief that she lost all reason and became a maniac. The result was that Anne was confined to the tapestry room until the time of her death. So rather than the family status and position being brought into disrepute by an association such as that, they decided that a maniac for a daughter would be a better story. And this has endured through the centuries, although it has changed in many different ways. So the story goes that the agreeable nature of their guest was such that he was invited to remain on for a while or a night or a week or a month or depending on what story you read. And there were four of them there each evening playing cards, Charles, his wife, Anne, and the stranger. So Charles and his wife were partnered for this game and Anne was partnered with the visiting stranger, which is the story that you were being told. Yeah, yeah. Hand after hand and game after game, success ensued for Anne and her partner and Charles and his wife enjoyed no success at all. Such was Anne's excitement that during one game, her ring inadvertently dropped from her hand onto the floor. Bending down quickly to retrieve the ring, Anne had the unfortunate experience of noticing that her partner in this game had a cloven foot and must therefore be the devil. Of course. So she screamed and, of course, alerted the stranger to the fact that his true identity had been discovered, upon which he vanished through the roof in a flash of light and a thunderous sound, leaving behind the unmistakable smell of brimstone. Oh, a bit of sulphur. In the room. <laughs> I'm sure somebody just didn't drop a... No? no. Okay. No. I don't think they had curry that night, no. <laughs> so the story goes that Anne never recovered from the shock 
And this is the reason for why she was confined to the tapestry room until her death some three years later. No matter which way you read it, the story of poor Anne is so sad. Mm -hmm. During this time, she was reported to have refused food and drink, and as a result of maintaining the same posture seated in this room for so long, it proved impossible to alter this position even after her death. So they had to create a specially shaped coffin to accommodate Anne's body. Isn't oh, that sad? The poor thing. So she she was crunched up in a little ball. Yeah. Wow. And it's owned by Aidan and Shane Quigley, who they have an absolute love of this mm, place. The amount of work they've yeah. put in. Oh, but mind you, we've yeah. we've been through it. So when it's huge. It's huge. But when we went through, it was nighttime. It was quite late. Anyway, let, let's get on to yeah. how, how we got into Loftus Hall because we arrived in Ireland on, I think it was the 1st of November, or the, no, 2nd of November, and Ireland had shut down <laughs> yes. all its tours and everything. The day before. The day before we arrived. That's true. Um, because they were going into their cold season where the, the tourists stopped coming, and, and this is only in November 2019. Um, and we were devastated. And then the tour that we wanted to do in Kil- Killarney mm-hmm was shut down for the year mm-hmm. and so we, we were just hitting brick walls everywhere yeah, it was getting so frustrating but uh we got on to our friend christy had put us in contact with danielle um who was an australian who was living over there anyway danielle fronted up and we headed off straight away the three of us felt like we'd known each other forever and we managed to book a tour at Muckross Abbey and um just just the three of us we we booked this guy for ourselves and um we were all laughing about Loftus Hall we we thought we'll drive out to Loftus Hall anyway and have a look even though we can't get into the place and let me tell you this peninsula is in the middle of nowhere I know it's very strategic military wise back in the day but God forbid anyone who lives out there. It's just a gale blowing. Windswept and interesting is exactly <laughs> what it is. Very barren. <laughs> but the um, the Loftus Hall really stands out on the horizon. It's it's very ominous looking. So that's where you'll find that anti-ad that we did. And we went away dejectedly, continued on with the rest of our holiday, popped over to England, came back again. And um, while we're just finishing up our last day of England, Danielle contacts us and said, they've put a tour on at Loftus Hall. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, my God, get oh my on gosh. it. Get on. So we're, we're frantically trying to book the tickets. It was um, dropping out left, right and centre. I was having so much trouble. Eventually we got two tickets. We jumped on the plane, jumped in a hire car over in Ireland and drove like lunatics yet again. It seems to be the way our holidays go to get to Loftus Hall. And um, we we got into our little motel room quite late. They'd left a key out for us and they'd also forgotten to put the heating on for us and it was freezing. <laughs> we had to sleep fully clothed because there was no heating. We had a hairdryer that we were trying to warm up the room <laughs> with. Oh, God. So cold. Uh, but they did give us a lovely bottle of mineral water, which we appreciated. Um, anyway, knock on the door. We're thinking, who the hell's knocking on our door? Open it up and there's Danielle. She surprised us by buying a ticket to join us at Loftus Hall. So um, we headed over there and it was dark and windy and and miserable and uh, 
they they've set up a um they've built like a tourist area out the back which was a cafe and they had the um all the tourist trinkets and everything we've there. got t-shirts yep. to prove we've been there yes didn't buy do. the shot glasses or the key rings but we've got t-shirts um and then we got to investigate Loftus Hall now they'd set up little experiments in the various rooms mm-hmm. and there was the room that was the card room where the the mm-hmm. they'd had the experience with the devil shooting through the roof mm-hmm. and there is still a hole in the roof mm-hmm. And I may have taken a photo, even though we're not allowed to. Mm-hmm. And they, they gave you the opportunity to move into the room next door and do a private vigil on yep. your own, which we were like, me, me, pick me. <laughs> so we did that. And I'm trying to find my um, recordings that I did from there to see if I, because me being the person I am, I haven't actually listened to the recordings yet to see if we caught any voices. And we so we investigated the tapestry room, the devil's bedroom. Mm-hmm which had been set up, uh, they'd had a movie that was filming there. I think, was it called The Borders? Is that the, or something like that? Anyway, I'll, I'll try and find out what that is. And it's like this red velvet draped things and um, uh, lounges and uh, it was very eerie and everything was dark. There's no lighting within the hall. We had to traverse everything with flashlights. So we couldn't really get a feel of where we were or what it was like, but there was wallpaper peeling off the walls all around us and furniture that was piled up against the walls and it was very creepy. Mm. Yes, it was. And unfortunately, as you would expect, you weren't allowed to go outside of the area mm-hmm. that I was designated for the tour. So we could really only see what was in front of us. And there were certainly places where you were led into and it was pitch black. I know we were in this one particular room surrounding a bed Mm -hmm. or a cot. Yeah, that was was the tapestry room. And there was no way you could see anything. It was absolutely completely pitch black. And that that was a bit sad for me because I really wanted to see the Mm. room that I was in. I did too. I have to say that I was disappointed that I couldn't see the the building. I would have liked to have gone back for a daytime tour, but they were all shut. Yeah. So we had no sense of the the grandeur of the place because it was all so dark and we're not allowed to take photos. Mm. Uh, But um, Danielle did have an experience on one of the solo um, Investigations? Yeah. We're, Solo we're, vigils? Yeah, the vigil. This was off the side of the devil's bedroom where the stranger slept and uh, she was put into that room and she was asking questions and she was getting windows shaking and rattling and banging and there was noises within the room of mm. furniture being banged and so she had quite an experience. Now, I had been in her, there before her. It was dead quiet. <laughs> Nothing. Mm. The wind outside was not affecting the shutters or anything. Mm-hmm. And see, we hear from the stories and from the information that we have already researched and read that there were invisible corridors behind mm-hmm. some of these rooms and mm-hmm. little nooks and crannies. And see, this is what I would have liked to have investigated before I sat 
and individual because I, I want to know whether anyone can go into those spots and knock on the doors yeah. or the walls or move things around yeah. and make them sound, make it sound as if it's coming from the room itself. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that that's what happens. No, they're, but they're a would, lovely team. Yeah, I would like to do that just from my own reference. Yeah. Um, there was a, a description of the place where they were saying um, there was corridors that led to nowhere. It actually reminded me a little bit of the Winchester Mansion, mm-hmm. the way they were describing it, and um, like dreary rooms. And um, there was this great book I found called True Irish Ghost Stories, and it's just actual stories compiled by someone. So mm-hmm. they've, they've taken newspaper reports or reports to the police, and, um, yeah, they described the father of poor Anne who died there as being very austere and the stepmother was um and loved this they said an unamiable relation is generally represented as in the like the typical stepmother she was just Mm -hmm. not nice and how great the state of lonely and solitude depression of the mind of poor Anne must have been in such a place without neighbours or any home sympathy may easily be imagined so the, this is the, the type of place that we were locked in in the dark, mm-hmm. investigating. Mm-hmm. Um, With another 50 people. Yeah. <laughs> but look, they have to make money. These yeah. guys have sunk so much yeah. money into this place. Yeah. Uh, it was exposed to the elements and it's now been fixed. Anyway, I need to get back into the ghost stories. Yes. And I, I will try to find some of those recordings. If we do, we'll, uh, we'll pop them up on our Facebook page. So the house itself certainly has had its fair share of invasions, uh, people being captured, plague, famine and tragedy, and it should create a plethora of ghostly figures, one Mm -hmm. would imagine. Mm -hmm. But there's really only Anne that they talk about and the devil. Oh, that's weird. Mm. So... The the story is that Anne went crazy mm-hmm. when she saw the devil person mm-hmm. um, and they confined her to the room because they were embarrassed. Mm-hmm. They were embarrassed about it all. And she died about ten years later. Okay, so all my story said three years later. Yeah, so all this, who knows? This is back in the 1700s or 1600s, what was it? Which one was it? Because yours said, I think, it was late 1690s and mine was uh, 1775, <laughs> so we've even got... There's, there's, oh, it's so long ago, I suppose the records are all muddled. Yeah. But since Anne died, yes. the house was played by poltergeist activity. Right. Now, what's poltergeist, Renata? Noisy ghosts. Mm-hmm. So they, they've assumed that this is Anne who has never been able to find peace. Now, with all this going on, they tried to get some ministers in to help them. They were supposedly Protestant, mm-hmm. but it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Didn't get rid of it. Because we have heard in many of these poltergeist situations that the last thing that actually helps is an exorcism. I know. That, that makes them act up more. So the, the Protestants didn't work, so they thought they'd give the Catholics a go. Now, if I remember correctly, this was at a time where um, Catholicism was secret, mm-hmm. it was outlawed, so they had to sneak someone up, Father Thomas Broaders, um, and he used all his techniques that he had learned from the Catholic Church to get rid of it. Now, he actually couldn't banish everything, but he managed to confine it to the tapestry room. Mm-hmm. You know why it's called the tapestry room? Because it had tapestries all over it? The walls were long enough to hang tapestries on them. Oh, right. It was a, apparently something to do with the length of the walls. 
there, there's actually a, a rumour that the uh, Catholic priest's gravestone reads, here lies the, to- uh, the body of Thomas Broaders, who did good and prayed for all and who banished the devil from Loftus Hall. There's actually no evidence of it, but isn't that a great story? Yeah, <laughs> and it rhymes. It does. And there's also um, suggestion that someone called Reverend George Reed had occasion to visit the hall to attend a function. Now, I found in this book reference to uh, part of this. So mm-hmm. there was Reverend George Reed. Um, uh, he was assigned the tapestry room for his sleeping quarters and thinking little of the stories of the hall, retired to bed happily. But then something happened. Now, I'm going to cross over to the, the actual account by the son Right. Uh, from this book, True Irish Ghost Stories. This story of his satanic majesty got abroad and many tales are told of how he continued to visit and disturb the house. So they're now talking about Satan is causing the poltergeist activity, not Anne. Right. The noises, the apparitions and disturbances were innumerable and the greatly distressed old Charles Tottenham, his wife and servants. It is said that they finally determined to call in the service of the parish priest, Father Broaders, who armed with all the exorcisms of the Catholic Church, succeeded in confining the operations of the evil spirit to one room, the tapestry room. But the matter was kept dark, all reference to poor Anne was avoided, and the belief was allowed to go abroad that it was Satan himself who disturbed the peace of the family. Her parents were ready to turn aside the keen edge of observation from her fate, preferring rather that it should be believed that they were haunted by the devil, so that the story of her wrongs should sink into oblivion and be classed as an old wives' tale of horns and hooves. But to my tale... About the end of last century, my father was invited by Mrs Tottenham to a large party at the hall. He rode, as was the custom, into Ireland with his pistols in his holsters. On arriving, he found the house full and Mrs Tottenham apologised to him for being obliged to assign him to the tapestry chamber for the night, which, however, he gladly accepted, never having heard any of the stories connected with it. However, he had scarcely covered himself in the bed when suddenly something heavy leaped upon it, growling like a dog. The curtains were torn back, the clothes stripped from the bed. Supposing that some of his companions were playing tricks, he called out that he would shoot them, and seizing a pistol, he fired up the chimney, lest he should wound one of them. Can you imagine that in the middle of the night hearing a gunshot? He then struck a light and searched the room diligently, but found no sign or mark of anyone, and the door locked as he had left it on retiring to rest. Next day, he informed his hosts how he had been annoyed, but they could only say that they would not have put him in that room if they had any other to offer him. That's a bit bizarre considering how big Loftus Hall is. Yes, must have been a big party. Mm. (laughs) Years passed on. When the Marquis of Eli went to Hall to spend some time there, his valet was put to sleep in the tapestry room. Mm -hmm. In the middle of the night, the whole family was aroused by the dreadful roars and screams, and he was found lying in another room in mortal terror. After some time, he told them that, soon after he had lain himself down into bed, he was startled by the rattling of the curtains as they were torn back, and looking up, he saw a tall lady by the bedside dressed in stiff brocade silk 
whereupon he rushed out of the room screaming with terror. Oh, so that must have been Anne. Yes. But it goes on. There's more and more reports of of this whole thing. Years afterwards, I was brought by my father with the rest of the family to the hall for some summer bathing. Summer bathing. Summer bathing. In Ireland. (laughs) Must have been all about... All of about four degrees. Yeah, they, they had their own private beach as part of the estate. Um, attracted by the quaint look of the tapestry room, I at once chose it for my bedroom, being utterly ignorant of the stories connected with it, for some little time without nothing happening at all. One night, however, I sat up much later than usual to finish an article in a magazine I was reading. The full moon was shining clearly in through the two large windows, making all as clear as day. I was just about to go uh, get into bed and happened to glance towards the door. To my great surprise, I saw it open quickly and noiselessly and as quickly and as noiselessly shut again, while the tall figure of a lady in a stiff dress passed slowly through the room to one of the curious closets already mentioned which was in the opposite corner. I rubbed my eyes. Every possible explanation but the true one occurred to my mind, for the idea of a ghost did not for a moment enter my head. I quickly reasoned myself into a sound sleep and forgot the matter. Mm. The next night, Mm -hmm. so I was still there, Mm -hmm. I sat up again late in my bedroom, (laughs) ready for this, preparing a gun and ammunition. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Now, this That'll is, do it. This is what I don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, to go and shoot seabirds early the next morning. Mm. Bastard. Uh, when the door opened again and shut in the same noiseless, noiseless manner and the same tall lady proceeded to cross the room quietly and deliberately as before towards the closet. I instantly rushed at her, threw my right arm around her, exclaiming, Ha! I have you now! To my utter astonishment, my arm passed through her and came with a thud against the bedpost at which the spot she then was. The figure quickened its pace as if past the skirt of its dress lapped against the curtain and I marked distinctly the pattern of her gown, a stiff brocaded silk. So residual. Residual, yeah. This is just something that's replaying over and over. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ghostly solution of the problem did not yet enter my mind. Oh, dear. Is he a bit thick? <laughs> oh, he's got a gun in his hand. No, no. Oh, that solves everything, doesn't it? And however, I told the story at breakfast next morning. My father, who had himself suffered from the lady's visits so long before, never said a word, and it passed as some folly of mine. So slight was the impression it made on me at the time that though I slept many a night after that room, I never thought of watching or looking out for anything again. Hmm. That's mm. interesting. So did it happen? I don't know. Now, this is another story years later, mm-hmm. okay? The Marquis of Eloni's family with a large retinue of servants filled the house to overflowing. As they were passing the housekeeper's room, you, they heard the valet say, What? I to sleep in the tapestry chamber? Never. I will leave my lord's service before I sleep there. Mm-hmm. The, the gentleman thought, well, I'm going to find out what that's all about. And he went and spoke to him and said, tell me why you will not sleep in the tapestry room, as I have a particular reason for asking. And the servant replied, is it possible that you do not know that Miss Tottenham passes through that room every night and dressed in a stiff flowing silk dress enters the closet in the corner? <sighs> yeah, so it's well known. It looks mm-hmm. like it's happened to many people. Mm-hmm. 
I replied that I had never heard a word of her till now, but that I had a few years before twice seen a figure exactly like what he had described and passed my arm through her body. Yes, he said, that was Miss Tottenham. And all is well known. She was confined, mad in that room and died there and they say was buried in that closet. Oh. <laughs> and there's another story about the Reverend Charles Dale um, who slept in the same room for three weeks, experienced nothing, uh, and then at one o'clock in the morning had not lain down more than five minutes before something jumped on the bed, made growling noises, the bedclothes were pulled off. Um, they sprang out of bed straight away, lit the candle to, to look into the closet under the bed and saw nothing. Mm-hmm. So this, this seems to be a regular thing, but it seems residual. Mm-hmm. I find it really bizarre that with all of the history that the only energies that seem to be popping up at the moment are that of Anne mm-hmm. and the connection with the demon. Yeah, which they say is the devil himself. Yeah. Um, and the, the other thing that they talk about is that the uh, skeleton of a baby yes. was found in the room walled into the wall. Now, if we start to put it all together, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say that Anne may have had a little tryst Mm -hmm. with a handsome stranger that came to visit. Mm -hmm. Now, the family would not like it known that their daughter had fallen pregnant Mm -hmm. to somebody that was staying with them. So did they confine her to her room till she had the baby? Mm Mm-hmm. Did the baby die in childbirth? Did they kill the baby? Mm-hmm. And it said that the the family themselves were the ones who started to tell the story about the devil. They even went and reported it to the police. And there is a yes, uh, I've read that. Yes, there is a document where yes. they reported it, so yes. they wanted it known. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they were trying to protect their daughter's honor. But I think if Do you think it went too far? It went too far. And it came back to bite them in the end because uh, at one stage the family that was living there, this is um, sometime after this had happened, um, Queen Victoria was going to come and visit the hall. Yes. And they had major upgrades done and spent the, a lot of money preparing for her visit. Yes. The um uh the the lady of the hall was actually an attendant to Queen Victoria mm-hmm. and there was high hopes that there would be a royal marriage within the family. Mm-hmm. And so they were preparing the house for Queen Victoria so that the the daughter and the son could uh, get together and there'd be a proposal. But sadly, this whole thing came back to bite them on the bum because she never came to visit because she said that her husband was distracted by ghost stories and liked ghost stories. So she didn't want to take him anywhere that where there were stories of ghosts because he would be too distracted. Mm-hmm. So that whole story actually stopped them having a royal wedding. Yes, it did change the the, the fortunes of the family. Ah, what a what a sad, sad place this is. Yeah. So um, one of the local accounts did say that Anne died during childbirth and her father refused to let anyone know about her pregnancy, including the local doctor, and she suffered complications leading to her death. And maybe they stored the body in that closet. Maybe they did. Who knows? It's 
Very sad. It, um, it makes me want to go back, though, and spend more time in the tapestry room and set up whatever we possibly could to do quite a substantial investigation in there. I would love to see Anne as a residual ghost walking through that room late at night. Let's just buy the hall. <laughs> Let's just buy it. What have we got we can sell that we can buy? <laughs> Not enough. Anyway, look, <laughs> today Anne Tottenham's grave is located in a local graveyard in Wexford, but something is very peculiar about it. Unlike the surrounding graves, it is completely cemented over. The people that buried her clearly wanted to ensure no one would ever access her body. So what dark secrets did Anne take to her grave mm. with her? How awful. Poor Anne, no wonder. That is very much this whole idea of a restless soul looking for solace and looking for peace. And people keep on telling this disturbing story, which just keeps her here all the longer. Mm. And I just remember the name of that castle that we drove to first, Lep Castle Lep or Castle. Lep Castle. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it would come back eventually. I'm, I'm getting old. So, yeah, Loftus Hall is indeed haunted by its dark and troubled history for sure. They say that you can feel the sadness and the trauma. And there was also a story about the mosaic floors. Did I don't think we got to see it because apparently they're not supported real well with the weight and they don't like to have a lot of people in there. That's true. It's part of the YouTube uh, yeah. introduction to the house. And also Ghost Adventures, when they went, um, mentioned it as well, um, that uh, the, the craftsman that built it, after they'd finished building the, this beautiful floor, they chopped off their hands so they could never make another one. What? Yep. Are you serious? That's the that's the story. Brutal times. Yeah. Anyway, so would you say that Loftus Hall is a true haunting? I would like to think that the story around Anne and her sorrow and the things that happened to her, whether they did or not, have really ground themselves into the fabric of the hall. It's left a stain. It has left its mark. Uh, and certainly if all of these stories of visually seeing and are true, we have a residual haunting there. Mm. Now there is a photograph that somebody took a few years back now. Thomas Beavis, 21, took a photo as they were walking up some stairs towards a window and there is very clearly a woman standing, a reflection, mm. but also of an older lady. So I don't know who they are. Is it Anne? Don't know. Is it somebody else that's walking past and it's their reflection? Mm -hmm. um, it would be very hard to tell. I think the photo has been debunked. I was trying to find more information on it, but we'll put that photo up on our Facebook page for mm. you guys to have a look at as well. Yeah, you can make up your mind what you think. Yeah. But as for this case, I hope Anne has moved on. Mm -hmm. She was trapped in that hall for far too long with such sad circumstances around her. But I'd like to go back and talk to her if she's still there. I would love to. Absolutely love to. Let's make a date. Done. So thank you for joining us for this episode of True Hauntings. Thanks for your support and we'll see you on the dark side. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. 
If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube.